Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto podcast. It's October 20th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew Hells Barbie and today I'm without my beloved co-host Austin Knight. I'm flying solo today so we're going to have somewhat of a shorter episode and it's a shame that Austin couldn't be here because we could have discussed the fact that the great Prime Minister of the UK after last night stating that she is a fighter and not a quitter, has today stated, about an hour ago, that she is in fact a quitter and has resigned. More political stability and economic stability to come in the UK, I'm sure. But yeah, the shit show continues. However, out of the frying pan, into the fire, let's talk about crypto. Today, what I'm going to chat a little bit about is... Something that's really become uh, a big debate that's been sparked by uh, moves from NFT marketplaces all surrounding kind of creator royalties. And I think this, ultimately this discussion, talking about making royalties optional, i.e. removing creator royalties, is something that's kind of coming to the fore right now. And I think what we're starting to see here is somewhat of a fight between incentives and ideology. So I'm going to break down what's happened, pros, cons, and uh, I'll kind of try and just stay a little bit objective. So um, let's, let's jump straight in. So this week, Magic Eden, which is one of the largest by volume, at one point eclipsing OpenSea and often bounces in and around there. Uh, NFT marketplaces, they focus primarily for, on Solana. I think they've now just started doing some more with ETH, but um, they're primarily a Solana NFT platform. They have just taken the step to make paying royalties to creators optional. Now, th- this is kind of the next major NFT platform taking this step, along with X2Y2, which allows the creator to choose, and PseudoSwap, which um, they are uh, completely ignored, so you don't have to pay creator royalties at all. OpenSea is probably the largest player left standing that actually supports like m- the mandatory payment of royalties to creators. Um, I think what's important to understand is... So first of all, if you're wondering what like royalties are, so when you purchase an NFT on the secondary market, most of the time the creators have set in um, in some some royalties. So it'll be a set percentage of the resale value will go back to the original creator. So that can be, I mean, as much as they determine, but it can often be between like three, five percent is like pretty much the, the standard. And then you've also got a couple of percent or maybe one percent in the fees that go to the marketplace. Creators get a much more significant percentage of the fee than the, the NFT marketplaces. And then you've just got the um the the actual fee that you're paying these are coming out of the sellers kind of cut um and obviously attach a premium onto the price of nfts but here's what's important to understand i think this is a misconception around royalties royalties aren't and they they never have been enforced on chain 
These are actually, the royalties themselves are configured within the NFT platforms that sell the collection. So they're decided by the creator when they first list the NFT. So if you go in and you wanna um, list your NFTs on OpenSea, in the smart contract, you're not specifying like the, the royalties there that have to be obeyed by any NFT marketplace. It's actually in OpenSea where you will specify the royalty that uh, OpenSea transactions will pay through to, to yourself. And so typically, when you think about revenue that creators will make from NFTs, it's split into two ways. One, you know, primary sale of their NFTs, so when they actually mint the NFTs to begin with. And then two, the ongoing royalties from secondary market sales. Now, today, with NFT secondary volume going down pretty dramatically, I think in the past... A uh, couple of months, OpenSea have had like some of the con their consecutive lowest volume days of transactions of all time. Um, and <clears throat> what this means is that the majority of revenue right now is coming to creators from their primary sales, so their initial mint. Those that had kind of collections live during the last bull cycle that launched kind of prior to that... <laughs> kind of when the market exploded, basically, they made significantly more from royalties than primary sales. So I'll give you a couple of examples of two different ends of the spectrum. So uh, Board Ape Yacht Club, obviously they uh, launched several years ago now. Their primary sales they did, 800 ETH, which was at the time 1.9 million USD. Nothing to turn your nose up at. But then when you look at how much they've made in royalties to date, 108,379 ETH, which is around about $129.5 million. That's a pretty significant um, amount of cash. On the other end, right, you look at someone like uh, Gucci, uh, one of the many traditional brands, especially in fashion, that launched an NFT collection um, around the time of like the the end of the last bull cycle, primary sales they did around ten million dollars worth, and then royalties one point five million. That's the typical story we see today, um, and I mean that's that's a that's a pretty high revenue um, to to be generating from primary sales and royalties, even to be honest. So then we get into this argument, which I think I alluded to earlier, which I I think is largely a fight between getting the incentives in the right place to stimulate economic activity and the ideology and values behind not just decentralization and crypto as a whole, but in particular, NFTs. Um, because, I mean, the, the popularization of NFTs to begin with, a lot of the core narratives were targeted around delivering value to creators, artists, musicians, etc. A lot of the kind of parallels that were drawn against, like for especially in like music NFTs, was talking a lot about the um, the likes of Spotify and centralized platforms that kind of take huge cuts and give very little out to creators. This being a solution, so let let's break down both sides of the argument, and I'll, I'll try to just be as objective as possible. So let's start with the argument around killing royalties. So I think the first piece here is that, you know, this 
this hurts the creator. And it breaks away from what I was talking about, one of the core value propositions that the NFT space has promised. And I think this, especially for the creators in the space, has been a kind of a real bitter pill to swallow. And while um, technically with like Magic Eden, you can still optionally purchase um, uh, NFT and pay royalties to the creator, just like you could send them a tip if you purchase directly through their website, for example, or things like that. But I think we all know how that ends. It ends with nobody ending up paying or very, very small amounts. The second kind of piece here is, you know, the, the, there's an argument here around the breakaway from giving creators ongoing revenue in royalties from their collections. This could misalign the incentives for them to continue to support their community, uh, be invested in its growth. So I think if you look at that, they'd be much more incentivized to just launch a brand new collection to get primary sales revenue versus do anything to support and build upon the current collection. Now, that is obviously quite a binary view of that, and there's there's nuance here. But I think overall, from, from especially a lot of the narrative I, I hear, those are the two big pieces here. And this is kind of why I say it's a bit more on the ideological side. I mean, the other piece that I think is more a symptom of these two would be the argument that creators are going to now just be less incentivized to produce great content in the Web3 space, and we could really start to see uh, some pain on the creator side where creators decide, hey, actually, no, I'm no, I'm no longer interested in building uh, NFTs and contributing to the space. I'm, I'm dubious as to whether that's going to happen because I still think there's a substantial amount of money to be made. And also, it's a, it's a great medium, it's a great community uh, inside this space. But I do think that is kind of the, the argument against killing or making royalties optional. So let's dive into the other side of the argument. So when we get into the argument for killing royalties, I think the first and most poignant piece in, the, in this argument is that it's ultimately just another unnecessary intermediary or tax that hurts the seller and buyer of secondary market trades. You know, we're seeing like uh, uh, similarly the, the rising popularity of the likes of PseudoSwap, um, who kind of came out and really differentiated themselves by not supporting creator royalties. They, that's kind of exploded on the scene and it's shown that the market, ultimately, whether we like it or not, the market prefers not to pay these additional fees. Shock horror, right? You know? Um, I think like the amount that NFTs are generating in royalties is not particularly significant, at least right now, compared to the friction that it adds to the market, having these additional pieces. I mean, sometimes royalties are very, very high. 5% um, of a uh, board ape that's selling for high six figures, low seven figures, that's a lot. Uh, so, you know, thinking about some of this, um, you, you can see some of the arguments there. I think the other one that I'm hearing quite a bit is around the kind of the reality of, of royalties. And I touched on this a little bit at the beginning where it's, um, you know, royalties aren't actually baked into the code of NFTs today. Uh, that there are 
There are some open proposals, some uh, Ethereum improvement proposals that are open to change this on Ethereum. I'm not sure how much traction they're getting. EIP 4910, the royalty bearing NFTs is one that you can take a little look at uh, where they would actually bake this into the, um, <clears throat> the, the actual code of the NFTs. Uh, so it'd be enforced on chain. You know, the challenge though with that is how do you determine whether when someone just transfers something to a wallet that that wasn't a sale? And if you can determine that, isn't there just going to be ways around this anyway? So so what I'm kind of getting to here is enforce it, enforcement has always been optional on the side of marketplaces. And as now, I think it is a matter of time before OpenSea do this, even if they take like a ideological stance, which I don't think they'll do. Um, I think they will kind of, cater to to the market um what what i what i did think was interesting because candidly i've been bouncing around a little bit and i would maybe say that if i had to put myself in a camp i'd probably put myself in the argument for killing royalties uh mainly around just like the uh, additional tax that i think hurts sellers and buyers in the secondary market trades but i don't feel very strongly about that and i do empathize with the uh, the creative space, I think it has been a big value prop of uh, NFTs. I also think it has been something that has proliferated some bad incentives for um, just big kind of kind of crappy like PFP projects to continue to exist. That said, you know I I'm still kind of making my mind up. But one thing that I think started to bring me much more over into the killing royalties. I was, I was listening to some of the commentary from some creators and I thought uh, Beeple, obviously incredibly um, famous artist, especially in the NFT world, uh, he, he tweeted out a, a good tweet thread that <clears throat> I would recommend anyone to take a little look at. And <clears throat> one, one of the things he said is, you know, while I'm obviously pro royalties and I don't love what Magic Eden and others are doing, I do think there is one key change that they hit on, switching from a seller's fee to a buyer's premium. I think this is actually much more sustainable long-term. And I think, so So I think that is a key point around some of this, is that you're not hurting the seller um, as much when you're removing the, the royalties. It's much more favorable in that respect. Um, so I I think those are kind of the, the two kind of pieces of the argument. If we move into, you know, what can what can be done? What could be done here as a potential route? I, all of the steps forward when we think about how do we still protect creators, ensure they deliver, uh, receive value for the work that they're creating over an extended period of time or, um, or just like ensure that they're able to to not get too hurt by these changes. I, I kind of listed out three things um, more broadly, and I think there are big challenges with each of them. So I think the first one is probably, and this is the most obvious, which you've got like creators just selling through their own native marketplaces to retain control of royalties. So difficulty here, you need technical expertise and a big audience, kind of like the, if you don't like the app store, go and sell direct argument, right? You know, it doesn't really work like that. And also you're fighting upstream on uh, against the market. Why would someone go to your own marketplace and pay additional fees when they can get it cheaper elsewhere? You know, um, I think the second piece is coding in royalties via a new NFT token standard. 
Um, I think difficult because as I mentioned, if this is done, how can you tell when someone is just transferring to a different wallet versus making a sale? I know people are working on solutions there. I haven't been overly convinced so far with any solution where I could see that happening. Of course, I could be wrong. There's much, much smarter people than me trying to figure this stuff out, but that's another potential piece. Um, and I think then the, the third, which I do think is is probably the, the biggest bucket, but is the most important piece in all of this, which is just innovation in revenue streams from NFT collections. Um, that that has to be something that this drives forward. That is difficult because, well, innovation is very tough. Uh, so, so I think that's kind of the, the the essence of this. It's a uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm I'm particularly interested to see OpenSea's stance on this. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But it's going to be uh, an interesting few weeks for sure of debate. And I I think the direction is almost set in stone that royalties are going away. And that's going to be at an accelerated pace with OpenSea really being the last to fall on that front. So expect more conversation and hopefully more innovation on that side of things uh, for, for NFTs. All right. I'm going to jump into one last quick story of the day that I thought was particularly interesting. Somebody just bought an NFT, giving them ownership to a house for 175,000 USDC uh, stablecoins. We've seen people do private transactions where the, I think Austin and I were talking about this in, I want to say 2018, where it was someone bought an apartment I think maybe in Europe uh, with Bitcoins. So we've seen private transactions happen. What we what we haven't seen a whole lot of is um, NFTs that are effectively uh, proof of ownership for real estate. And so this this happened over over the weekend. Roofstock, which is a pretty significant uh, digital real estate platform, they sold a home. It was a single family home in South Carolina in the US for 175K uh, paid in USDC. And it was via their own like homegrown native NFT marketplace called Roofstock on chain. And um, I've been digging in a little bit into Roofstock on chain. It's really interesting. I'm going to just read you like... Uh, a little blurb from a part of their their marketplace just so it helps you understand how that kind of works. So <clears throat> it says Roofstock on chain simplifies how single family residential properties are bought, owned and sold. We operate a marketplace that allows purchase and sale of single family properties using blockchain technology. When you buy a home on chain, you instantly receive a token in your crypto wallet that represents the sole ownership of an LLC that has a title to an underlying property. So this is really interesting because what they effectively do is each of the homes that they list, uh, it's titled in an LLC, right? So in a limited liability company, and it's associated with a unique NFT on the Ethereum blockchain. So when you purchase the um the the nft um you it basically represents your sole ownership of an llc which owns the property so what so so that's very interesting what i thought was even more interesting was this particular sale was made 
in USDC, so in stablecoins, but it was financed by a company called USDC Homes. And they've done a partnership with Roofstock, and they're effectively a lending pool. Um, they operate on Polygon, and uh, on like a Polygon deployment of Teller, uh, and which is a decentralized lending marketplace. Uh, so you can go check them out on usdc.homes. And I, I was looking through the, the website, so it's really interesting. And they, they, they say, we enable you to finance the purchase of an NFT tokenized real-world property with as little as 20% down. So they'll actually uh, and do like, I think it's two-year loans that they, uh, that they do, 20% down payment, and they'll do proper like off-chain credit reports and checks um, for you. Uh, so that you can, you still have to go through a similar process, um, but it's all kind of done on chain. Um, so, so really, really interesting. There's been a lot of discussion around like ownership and what this means when you sell on the NFT and et cetera, et cetera. I, I saw a good Twitter thread that was talking a little bit about, you know, what would happen and how are they going to like mitigate the risks of stolen properties. And uh, Sanjay, uh, Sanjay Raghavan from Roofstock, he is their, I think he manages all of their Web3 initiatives effectively. Um, so he said, um, it also cannot be stolen in a phishing attack. NFT can only be transferred to a recipient who has our non-fungible membership token. So it's a soul-bound token and has been doxxed, which is a legal requirement here. So if you lose your private keys, we can de-platform the prior token and issue you a new one. So if you basically if you lose access to your wallet they have like ways around uh being able to uh contact you verify your identity and kind of make all this work i think it's not a completely like decentralized way of operating it but i think for the sake of testing this out and getting it working this makes i think a lot of sense um so i thought that was very interesting i think we're going to see more and more they are going to be listing more homes you can go and check them out on um if you go to marketplace.roofstockonchain.com you'll be able to see any of the listings i'm sure they're going to have a lot of demand uh from from people especially considering the price point that uh, they're coming in at um yeah we'll be we'll be covering this closely so that's all we've got time for today. Uh, I know it was a short one. My apologies. Uh, Austin will be back uh, alongside me for next week's episode where we'll be digging into all the latest news and developments in the wonderful world of Web3. Thanks, everyone. Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.